you to do that this Friday at seven o'clock. All right, so we're continuing our study in Luke this week, this week and Kyle and Jess just, just killed it, just did an amazing, amazing job uh, over the last two weeks of dealing with chapters nine and chapter 10. And today we're looking at, at Luke chapter 15. It's not a traditional Palm Sunday. We reminded this is Palm Sunday. It's not a traditional Palm Sunday message, but it's one that I think leads us into what we're going to be celebrating next week. Uh, I just want to ask you a question. Like, have you ever gotten lost? And, and the reason I ask that question is because it's almost impossible now to get lost with GPS, that you can get turn-by-turn instructions. I travel all over the world. You can get turn-by-turn instructions wherever you want to go, almost anywhere in the world. Like, if you can get a signal, getting lost is almost a thing of the past. But feeling lost is a different story. Yeah, who said hallelujah? Try losing your phone. You know what I thought? I thought a wife said hallelujah because GPS has saved marriages. Can I just say? Because guys have been lost for millennial but have never admitted they were lost. Now at least they have hope. If their phone has a signal and the battery is charged. Okay. But feeling lost is a different story. Like that can happen in a moment. Our priorities can get rearranged. We're not sure where we're headed. We're not sure why we're headed in that direction. Our purpose in life can start to get a little fuzzy. We're not quite sure why we're here on this planet. And Luke 15 tells three stories of lost things. A lost sheep a lost coin, and two lost sons. Now, all three of the parables are in response to something we read about in the first two verses of Luke 15. And this is what it says. Now, the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. Now, in Jesus' day, and we've talked about this before, in Jesus' day, to invite someone into your home or to accept an invitation to go to their home to share a meal, is, it meant more than it does today. It was not just about hanging out together. It was not something that was kind of taken lightly. It was an offer. It was a profound offer of friendship. It, it was saying, I want to be in genuine community with you. I want to be in relationship with you. I want people to acknowledge that we are in community together. And the Pharisees and the other religious leaders are absolutely blown away by the idea that Jesus wanted to be in community with tax collectors and sinners, that he wants to be in community with people who are lost. Uh, I want to just pause just for a second, and I just want to say, if you are here today or you are with us online and, and maybe you've not connected all the dots and not a follower of Jesus yet and you're trying to kind of figure things out and all that and maybe trying to get your act together, however, whatever you would define that be, like whatever that is, I just want you to know that if you were in the first century and you ran, ran into Jesus, you would really like him. You would really like him. You, you would find yourself drawn to him. Like you would want to hang around him. And he would like you. 
And he would want to hang around with you. And he would want to be with you. And he would want to spend time with you. So in response to this muttering of the Pharisees who can't understand why Jesus is hanging out with these kind of people, Jesus tells these three stories. That's why we have Luke 15 is because of who's listening that we're told about in in, in 15 verses 1 and 2. Like this is the reason now we have Luke 15. He tells these three parables about things that are lost. And all the parables are focused on God's grace. And usually... When we read them, some of you are super familiar with these parables, particularly the last one. And usually when we read them, we focus on how God's grace changes our lives, like individually, that turns our life upside down. And it does. All of that is true. But today, I want to focus on how the grace of God changes us together as a community. I want to focus on the unique kind of community that the gospel creates because it's a community that the world has never seen, that the world had never seen before. Sometimes we forget it. Sometimes we lose a sense of our identity of what kind of community we have been called to be and who we are as a church and who we are as a community. And that's what these stories are all about. And so I want to focus on that. The first thing is that we are a community of people who get profoundly lost. Like that's who we are. We are a group of people, a community of people who get profoundly lost. The first parable Jesus tells is about a lost sheep. And he says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep, loses one. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Now, I just want to say a word about sheep. I've actually talked about this before is that we get called sheep a lot in scripture. Like if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're part of the community of faith, like all that, we get called sheep a lot. In fact, humanity gets called sheep in scripture. And a pastor who used to be a shepherd described sheep this way. Now, don't blame me for this, okay? Um, Those of you that like sheep, okay? He says, a sheep is a stupid animal. It loses its direction continually in a way that a dog or a cat never does. And even when you find a lost sheep, the lost sheep rushes to and fro and will not follow you home. Like the, the dog will usually follow you home. The cat will, but an hour later, okay? Because they're so cool. Uh, so when you find it, you must seize it, throw it to the ground, tie its four legs together, Put it on your shoulders and carry it home. That's the only way to save a lost sheep. Makes you feel a little different about being called a sheep, right? Like just a little bit different. And and when sheep see grass, no matter how dangerous a spot that it's on, how steep the hill, how steep the cliff, they just go for the grass, even though it takes them to a place oftentimes that is impossible to get down from and they have to be rescued or they will plunge to their death. And the Bible says that, that all of us to some degree are like that. In Isaiah 53, it says, we are all like sheep. We have all like sheep gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. In other words, all of us tend to pursue 
whatever we need to pursue in order to feed our soul. It may be image, it may be status, it may be wealth, it may be possessions, it may be accomplishment, it may be fan, uh, family, it may be finding Mr. Right or Mrs. Right or whatever it is, a relationship. For instance, we often try to feed our soul with some kind of special relationship to rest our, to find rest in our heart's deepest desires in another person or to rest our heart's deepest desires on another person. To think that I know I'm valuable, I know that I matter because this person cares about me, this person loves me. And that will always lead you to a dangerous ledge, a dangerous precipice because you will place emotional and spiritual expectation on that person that they can never fulfill. You will crush the relationship with expectations that only God can fulfill. And then Jesus continues this theme of lostness in the next two parables. He says, suppose a woman has 10 coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? So Jesus says that we are a community of lost sheep that need to be found. We are a community of lost coins that have been found. And then in the third parable, Jesus reminds us that we are a community of lost children who have found their way home. Listen to how Jesus describes it. He continued, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, set off for a far country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine that the whole country dealt with, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Now, in the Middle East, in Jesus' day, if a man had two sons, the oldest son would have gotten two-thirds of the father's estate when he died, only when he died. And the younger son would have gotten one-third of the estate when the father died. Now, the estate would have been almost entirely it was an agricultural driven culture, value and property and wealth was all tied up to the amount of land that you owned. And so the estate would have been almost entirely tied up in the land that he possessed. So for the younger son, think about this, for the younger son to ask for his portion of the estate now while his father is alive would have required the father to sell off a third of his property, a third of his estate, a third of, in essence, kind of his identity. And this kind of request would have been incredibly disrespectful. And a traditional Middle East father would have been expected to treat the son terribly in response to the request and to drive him out of the house. But this father doesn't do that. He, in fact, sells a third of his property and he gives it to his younger son. And when the money runs out, this young Jewish boy 
becomes about as lost as you can get. Because he has no money, he's starving, all of his friends are gone, he desperately needs a job, and the only job he can get is feeding pigs, which makes him ceremonially unclean on a daily basis. So this kid is completely and totally lost. But that's the kind of community, according to Jesus, that's the kind of community that he's forming. It's a community like us. It's a community made up of people who sometimes profoundly get lost. A community where in an attempt to feed our own souls, we tend to pursue things at times that draw us away from the Father. That's the first thing. Second thing is this. We're a community of people who are infinitely valued. We're a community that is profoundly lost, but we are also a community that is infinitely valued. In telling these parables, Jesus is not just reminding us that at times we get lost. He's also reminding us that we are treasured, treasured, treasured by the Father. That we are the sheep that the shepherd leaves the 99 to go after. That we are the coin that the woman turns the house upside down in order to find. And that we are the child who the father runs, runs to embrace. My favorite part of the parable of the lost son is when the son finally recognizes his lostness and decides to go home. And this is what we read the response of the father is. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still Far off, before he could say anything to his father, before he could confess anything, before he could share the little rehearsed speech that he had given about how he had done wrong and he wanted forgiveness and all that. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. I love that verse because it's such an incredible image of just how much God treasures us. Just how much God values us. First of all, when the father sees his son in the distance, he begins to run. Now, in that culture, fathers did not run. It was not dignified for a father to run. To run, given the garments that you were wearing, you had to lift up your garments and show your bare legs. And fathers just did not do that. It was undignified to do that. Children ran. Fathers didn't run. But this dad goes in an all-out sprint to welcome home a son who has been lost. Secondly, the father throws his arms around his son and he kisses him. He embraces him and he kisses him before the son has the opportunity to voice his rehearsed confession. And that's so important because the confession doesn't lead to the embrace and the kiss, it's the embrace and the kiss of the father that leads to the confession. This dad has always treasured his son, even before he confessed, even before he knew that he was lost. And God has always treasured you. No matter where you are in your spiritual journey, even during times when you didn't know you were, you were lost and didn't know you were lost. You were lost as the the elder son, which we're going to get to later, lost in your goodness sometimes and not in your bad life. Even when we are lost and don't know we're lost, even before 
we can confess, even before we can repent, even before we can come back home to the Father, even before all of that, we are, you are treasured, you are loved and treasured by the Father. Can I get an amen for that? Thirdly, the son tells the father that he does, this is so interesting. He tells the father that he doesn't expect to come back and get all the benefits of being his child. He just wants to come back, not as a servant, not as a slave, but as a hired hand, which would have been a craftsman of sorts. He wants to come back as a hired hand. He wants to be a hired hand so that he can make money and pay his father back. He's... What is sometimes missed in this story is that he's wanting to provide restitution for what he's done. But before he can finish his sentence, his father covers him with his robe, with this expensive ring. He throws this expensive party and he welcomes him home as a treasured son. So this community that Jesus is forming is not only a community of people who get profoundly lost. It's a community of people who are infinitely valued. And you cannot separate those two things. Here's, here's the problem. The problem is when we separate the fact that we are profoundly lost from the fact that we are infinitely valued. Like if you know that you're lost, some of you grew up in churches were like, oh, I knew I was lost. Like every time I came to church, I was reminded of how lost I am and was and all that. And if you know you're lost, but you don't know how much you're valued, then you will live in a perpetual state of guilt and condemnation and you will hide your sin out of a sense of shame, out of a sense of unworthiness. But if you know you're valued, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you. If you know you're valued, but you don't know that you're lost, you will become convinced that your value to God is somehow tied to your moral performance. And you will also hide your, your sin, but for a different reason. You will hide your sin in some futile attempt to earn God's love in some futile attempt to demonstrate to God and to others that somehow you deserve this love that God is pouring on you. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it this way, religiosity and morality permits no one to be a sinner. Let me just say that again. Permits no one to be a sinner. Everyone wants to cancel or conceal his sin from himself or herself and from others but it is the grace of the gospel which is so hard for the religious, that's us sometimes, to understand. The grace of the gospel confronts us with truth and says, you are a sinner. You are a great, desperate sinner. Now, come as the sinner you are to God who loves you, who treasures you, who values you, and the mask that you have to wear before everyone else will do you no good before him or before your brothers and sisters. So confess your sins to one another and be healed. Wow.
And then lastly, we're not only a community of people who get profoundly lost, and we're not only a community of people who are infinitely treasured by God, we are a community that invites outsiders in. That, that's who we are. That's our identity as a community following Jesus. Notice that in all three parables, every time something is, is lost or was lost, every time it's found, they throw a party. Every parable. So like when the shepherd finds the lost sheep, says he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice, rejoice. The sheep that was lost is now found. He throws a party. And we're told when the woman finds the lost coin, she calls her friends and her neighbors together and says, rejoice, rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. And then we're told that when the lost son returns home, the father says to his servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast. Let's celebrate. Let's have a party. And then Jesus makes this absolutely astounding declaration in verse seven when he says, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. This is something. This celebration, this outward focus, this being all about folks coming to Jesus, this is something the older brother could never get his mind around. And we're reminded of that in verses 28 and following. It says, the older brother became angry at this party, being thrown, all of that, refused to go into the party. I'm not going into the party. Hate the party. I hate my brother for leaving. I hate him for taking a third of the state. Don't like that. So his father went out and pleaded with him. The father ran to the son who had gone away and taken his third and was coming home. And now it's the older brother who has gone into a far land. Not in the same way, but he's on the outside and say, I'm not going to come in. And the father once again goes to him. But he answered his father, look. Not a really respectful way to talk to your dad. Look, all these years I've been slaving for you, never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, not my brother, I don't claim him as my brother, this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. We're going to unpack that in a second. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is now found. Now, we usually refer to this story as the story of the prodigal son. But the reality is that both sons are actually prodigals. Both sons get lost. Both sons are alienated from the father. The younger son gets lost in his, in his badness. And the older son gets lost in his goodness. He thought his goodness. He thought that his goodness meant that God owed him something. He thought the fact that he followed the rules 
He went to church, he paid his tithe, he served in some way, he helped other people, he cared for the poor. He thought that somehow because he had played by the rules all of his life, that the father, the father owed him something. And that's why he gets so mad when the father gives the younger brother all this extravagant stuff and throws this extravagant party. Because this is the dynamic of the story that often gets missed. The younger brother cannot be welcomed back into the family and receive all of these expensive things that the father is giving him unless, think about it, unless the older brother pays for it. Remember how the father says to the older brother, everything I have is yours? That's literally true. That's literally true. Everything that was left, the two-thirds that was left, all of that was his inheritance. Everything that the father had was his. So if the father expends money on the younger brother who has already taken and spent his one third and that is never coming back, it has to come out of the two thirds that the older brother has as his inheritance. In effect, everything that the younger brother consumes from now until when the father dies comes out of the older brother's inheritance. He literally is paying for all of this extravagant stuff that the father is doing for the son. Now, we know from verses one and two that there are two groups that are listening to all of these stories. And it's the reason Jesus told the stories. That there are tax collectors and sinners, that's one group, and there are Pharisees and teachers of the law, religious insiders, churchgoers, all of that. That's the other group. And in the parable, it's clear that the younger brother represents the tax collectors and the sinners. And the older brother represents the Pharisees and the teachers of the laws, the, religion, the teachers of the law, the religious insiders. And the reason Jesus is telling these three parables is because the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are so lost in their goodness, that they don't think it's right that they have to share the inheritance of their salvation. That's what this parable is all about. That they don't think it, that they should have to share the inheritance of their salvation with tax collectors and sinners that, that have not followed all the rules, that have not done everything right, that have not lived the kind of life that they've lived. It just doesn't seem fair. But Jesus says, that's the kind of community I'm forming here. I'm forming a community, get this, I'm forming a community that redefines lostness. I'm forming a community where both younger brothers and older brothers realize that they are lost. Some are lost in their badness. Some are lost in their goodness. I'm forming a community where everyone realizes that they are a prodigal and needs to come home. I'm forming a community where younger brothers and older brothers realize that they are both treasured by the Father, that they are both valued by the Father, that when they realize their worth is not driven by their moral performance, but by their intrinsic value to God. And I'm building a community that invites outsiders in. Like that's the community I'm building, Jesus says. I'm building a community that invites outsiders in, a community that breaks down the walls that religion 
builds up. Religion builds up all of these walls. And he says, I'm building a community, forming a community that breaks down all of those walls. A community that moves away from conversations about us and them and moves toward conversations about us and God. A community that parties the hardest when someone who is lost comes home. A community that is outward focused and not inward focused. Now, I want to just kind of wrap this up by just asking you a few questions that um, I just want you to think about. I just want you to ponder. Uh, and the first one is, is obvious. Like, which, which brother in the story do you most closely identify with? Like, when you read this story, when you hear this story, like, which of the two brothers do you most closely identify with? And how has that kind of where you identify yourself, what your journey has been, the way you came to faith, when you came to faith, how long you've been in the church, how much you have been a part of the, the mission of the church, how much you feel like an insider or how much you feel like an outsider, like all of that, like how has that shaped your view of God? Like how has, whether you identify more with the younger brother or with the older brother, how has that, just, just, as, just be honest with yourself, like how has that shaped the way that you think about God? The way that you understand God? What you think about when even the idea that God is your father, even the idea that that brings to you, the image that that brings. Like, how has that shaped your view of God? How has that shaped your view of yourself? Of like, how you view yourself. How you deal with, how you deal with guilt. How you deal with failure. How you deal with your failure. How you deal with the failures of others how you deal with the failures of people who are close to you, how you deal with those who have let you down, how you feel, how you deal with those who have betrayed you in some way. Like how has where you see yourself in this story impacted the way that you see yourself? And how has it impacted and shaped your view of those in the church? Like if you've been most of your life Kind of outside the church, how has that shaped the way you viewed the church? This community that Jesus is forming, has formed, is continuing to form. And, and if you are a part of that community, how has that, and you've been a part of that community for a long time, how does that shape the way that you think about those on the outside of that. Those who are kind of looking in. Those who are playing by a different set of rules. A different set of values than even that you value. Like how is it shaped? The way that you see those in the church and those outside the church. I just want you to think about I'm not going to wrap that up. I just want you to think about that. 
We're going to close today with communion. Here's what's interesting about doing communion today in this text. Is that the Bible actually refers to Jesus as our older brother. That's kind of cool. That the Bible says that Jesus is our older brother. And communion is the celebration of what our older brother has done on our behalf. If Jesus had been the older brother in the story, it would have been a totally different story. If Jesus had been the older brother in the story, he would have gone looking for his younger brother. He would have given up the whole inheritance that was left that was his. He would have given all that up to just find his younger brother and to somehow be used to bring his younger brother home. On the cross, that's exactly what Jesus did. He paid the price for all of us, his younger brothers and sisters. He paid the price for all of us to come home. And it didn't cost him two-thirds of his inheritance. It cost him his life. And that's how much you're treasured. And that's how much you're valued. So we're going to take communion today. And uh, I'm going to pray in a moment. And then we're going to worship. And the ushers are going to uh, bring the elements and pass them down the rows. And, and you can take the bread and you can take the cup. And as I have said often recently, uh, for some of you, maybe this is the day that you come home. That uh, if you were to be really honest, that there's been some distancing, not that God has moved, but that you have moved. And today is the day to come home, maybe for the first time, maybe to come home again. And... Uh, if that's you, uh, I want you to feel just empowered and invited to come to the table to celebrate what your older brother has done for you. And then we're going to, I'll come back up, we'll take communion together, and then we'll worship and close the service. God, thank you for this time. Thank you for this story. Thank you for what you have done. Thank you for being an older brother that's willing to give up everything for us. We are overwhelmed by that reality. And we pray that we would celebrate it and live in it today in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together.